Hey everyone, welcome back to Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Mike Wong. A lot of you know me as the host of this show, but in case you're new here, creating podcasts is actually not what I mainly spend my time doing. I'm a scientist, inspired by Star Trek, of course, and specifically I'm a planetary scientist and an astrobiologist at the Carnegie Institution for Science. One thing that we scientists like to do is gather at conferences where we get to share what we've been working on with our peers and generate new ideas together. This, however, has been nearly impossible to do in person during the pandemic. But last month was the 2022 Astrobiology Science Conference held in Atlanta, Georgia. And Absicon was my first in-person science conference in nearly three whole years. The Astrobiology Science Conference is the flagship conference for astrobiologists. Roughly a thousand scientists attend this meeting, ranging in discipline from astronomy to geobiology to organic chemistry to mathematical philosophy. It's by far my favorite conference to go to, and it's the only one at which I constantly feel like I wish I could be in three places at once. For instance, I might find myself torn between a session on the origin of life, a session on the geophysics of icy moons, a session on how to look for life on exoplanets, and if the scheduling gods are extra cruel, they might also have sprinkled in a Mars 2020 session in there too. It's ridiculous. And I love it all. Absicon is also a superb place to find Trekkies. I distinctly remember engaging in a passionate debate about how best to watch New Trek right before one of the Exoplanet sessions. You know, do you see each episode week by week as it comes out, or wait until it's all out and binge it? It was so full of Trek in that hall that Dr. Ravi Koparapu of NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center opened his remarks for the session with, Welcome to the Absicon Star Trek convention. <laughs> and one of Absicon's keynote lectures featured space historian Gideon Marcus, founder of The Galactic Journey, a project that pretends to live exactly 55 years in the past, recounting the dawn of a new wave of science fiction and fantasy in the 1960s. As it comes out, including the original Star Trek, as we sit here in 2022, the Galactic Journey Project is experiencing and responding to the first season of TOS. I've put a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. It's really cool. Now, those of you who have been listening diligently to this podcast may know that I have an interest in the question of how to identify signs of life as we do not know it. The development of agnostic biosignatures, in other words, patterns that might be indicative of completely different biologies. This is obviously a thing that the tricorder can do to some extent in Star Trek. After all, they are able to scan for biosigns from myriad different species in wildly exotic environments. So let me tell you about a poster that stuck out to me at Absicon. It was by my friend and colleague, Dr. Mike Malaska at JPL. He suggested that the thicknesses of membrane-like structures could be a potential 
agnostic biosignature. Okay, the first thing to know about this subject is that life isn't required to make cell-like membranes. It turns out that long chains of carbon and hydrogen atoms, what we might call lipids or fatty acids, when they're placed in a watery environment, they can and do spontaneously form spherical shells without life being present at all. So the presence of cell-like structures may not be enough to definitively say whether or not you've got life. These blobs in your microscope could just be a bunch of self-assembled fatty acid chains. So how can you test whether or not these cell-like things are actually alive? Now, obviously, there are many ways to do this, but one quick and easy one that Mike Malaska's poster presentation suggested was to simply look at the distribution of membrane thicknesses. If you took, say, a hundred or a thousand of these cell-like entities and measured their membrane thicknesses, and they were kind of a random distribution of thin and thick and medium-sized, that's probably not indicative of a living system. But if the overwhelming majority of them were a single size, that could be life. Mike tested this idea by looking at the thicknesses of biological cell membranes versus the thicknesses of membrane-like structures that formed abiotically. Sure enough, he found that life, no matter whether it came from a hot spring or farm soil or mountaintop or seawater, all had very nearly the same membrane thickness, around 5 to 10 nanometers. On the other hand, non-living membranes, those made naturally, in abiotic processes, showed a great diversity of thicknesses. So why are cell membranes of life so uniform in thickness? Mike suggests that it has something to do with the fact that all of life uses some very important transmembrane proteins. Proteins that basically span the width of the cell membrane and poke a little out on either side. A little inside the cell, a little outside the cell, but most of that protein stuck right in that cell membrane. These transmembrane proteins perform critical functions for the cell, like shuttling nutrients between the outside and the inside, creating energy, or receiving signals from the environment and translating them into activity inside the cell. These proteins are so conserved throughout all of biology here on Earth, and so critical to cells' survival, that life has no choice but to keep its cell membranes the same thickness, or else it would have to reinvent all of its transmembrane proteins. And that's just a leap too far for evolution. Now, on an alien planet, you might not expect exobiology to use the exact same cell membrane thickness that we have here on Earth, but you would expect them to be the same as each other. This uniformity of cell membrane thickness is just one in a long list of ways in which life is selective, and looking for life in this manner fits into a theme of looking for a general class of unusualness to identify an agnostic biosignature. Non-living processes tend to make randomness because there is little selecting for this or that outcome over another. But a living system is really picky. Too thick a membrane and that cell's machinery, its transmembrane proteins, would cease to function. 
And that's buy, buy, sell. So functionality really plays a crucial role in constraining the possibilities for life. And it's that idea of surprise, we're all the same, that might constitute a biosignature on another world. This little research vignette is why I love going to AppsIcon. It's such a clever idea, but one that I would have never thought of myself. Mike Malaska wasn't the only buddy I saw at AppsIcon. Some of my most heartwarming interactions were with my friends from the University of Washington, which always sends a huge delegation to AppsIcon thanks to its legendary astrobiology graduate program. I'd left these Seattle-based folks less than a year ago to journey across the country to my new job at Carnegie. But honestly, the COVID time warp made it feel like I'd been apart from them for generations. Reuniting with my friends from UW was just a joy. I think the best way to put it for a bunch of Star Trek fans is the way Worf must have felt in first contact being swept back into the Enterprise crew. I have a patient here who insists on coming to the bridge. Welcome aboard the Enterprise, Mr. Worf. Thank you, sir. I mean, don't get me wrong, DS9 is great and the Defiant is a tough little ship. But being surrounded by that old crew again was such a marvelous experience. I didn't even realize how much I missed them until I saw their faces. On top of that, I got to reconnect with some truly remarkable first-year graduate students from Purdue University. Now, not a lot of people know this because I didn't, like, broadcast it to the world, but in February of this year, I actually went to Purdue to interview for an astrobiology faculty position at that university. It was my very first ever in-person faculty interview, and oh my god, it was intense. Two whole days of talking to people under relentless judgment and scrutiny. I mean, look, 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 they were really nice about it, but you know you're on stage from the moment you walk in that door to the moment you walk out. Well, I thought I put my best foot forward, but they ended up offering the job to someone else, which is totally fine. I may have gone to Purdue looking for a job, but I found something even better. The truly fabulous, inspiring, and ambitious people in Professor Stephanie Olson's Purdue Habitability and Biosignatures Lab, or Fab Lab for short. What a great name, huh? These young scientists, Emily, Angie, Ash, and Kyle, are going to change the face of astrobiology one day. I can just feel it. Not only are they so much more competent than I was as a first-year graduate student, they are all doing such brilliant work. For instance, Emily LaFleche presented her biogeochemical models of Earth-like exoplanets and found that strong obliquity or axial tilt of the exoplanet could result in very dramatic seasonal cycles of nitrogen uptake by life no matter the oxygen content of the atmosphere. So, in theory, if you had a telescope good enough, you might be able to watch a planet breathe nitrogen-bearing gases, like N2O, in and out over the course of its orbit, and use that time-varying seasonal pattern to identify an active global biosphere on a distant world. 
This kind of study plays right into my growing belief that the entire planet can be thought of as one living system, inhaling and exhaling like one giant organism twirling majestically in space. Speaking of amazing people, my own students showed up to Abscicon in full force. Kayla Smith and Jalen Shawcross, whom I co-mentor with the incredible Danica Adams at Caltech, more than held their own against questions from bigwigs in the field. And Adriana Gomez-Buckley, who starred right here on Strange New Worlds in Europa Watch Episode 5, delivered a phenomenal talk on her virus bacterial model for Europa. And two students I taught astrobiology to at Caltech, Lydia Kivrak and Sarah Crusilla, are now researchers in their own right and teaching me things about life in the universe. Nothing is more gratifying than seeing these people shine. So I think that pretty much sums up my feelings about Abscicon. The biggest takeaway was, wow, it was great to be back in person. And also, I have so many new ideas for future guests on Strange New Worlds. Thanks for listening to this tiny slice of a week-long scientific bonanza. Before we go, let me take a brief moment to just remind you Don't forget to register for my virtual Carnegie Neighborhood Lecture on the Science of Star Trek coming up June 16th. The link to register is in the show notes. And also, you can follow Strange New Worlds, a science and Star Trek podcast on Twitter at Science of Trek and myself at MikeY, M-I-Q-U-A-I. Take care, everyone. Stay curious. And until next time, see you out there.